Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Erica. She's 37 and for the past year has been experiencing what she describes as a fast and loud heartbeat and heart palpitations that would come on what seemed like out of nowhere and last for a few minutes. It started with just once a month, but then became more consistent where it was happening more frequently and now seems like it's happening a few times a week with varying intensity. She was so worried that she was having heart issues, so she saw several cardiologists and fortunately, everything with her heart was okay. But unfortunately, she still didn't have an answer as to why it was happening. And this is such a common issue. It could be so frustrating when the answer is not right in front of you. I knew we needed to dig in to figure out where this was stemming from to solve this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Erica and the frustration and fear she had around her heart palpitations and what she described as a loud and fast heartbeat that would come on all of a sudden. Join me on the show today to talk more about Erica's case is Dr. Christopher Kelly. Dr. Kelly is a cardiologist at Columbia University, and he and his colleague, Dr. Eisenberg, who's also a cardiologist at Columbia, are the co-authors of the book, Am I Dying? A Complete Guide to Your Symptoms and What to Do Next. Dr. Kelly, wonderful to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be joining you today. So I love the name of your book. And as Thank I was you. telling you in the pre-interview, I wish that it was around when I was in high school. As I have to confess, I went through a phase where I thought I had everything. And having a guide to symptoms like this to know when it may be nothing and when it could be something serious is really a very, very helpful thing. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. And, and uh, we try to provide reassurance where we can and not make you even more worried about your symptoms. So I'm sure it would have been helpful. Yes. And you definitely did. As I was going through the book, you know, there was a lot of reassurance there. Um, now, when it comes to heart issues, we typically see more of this in people that are a bit older, but how common are serious heart issues in those who are younger, like say 30s and 40s? Yeah. So traditionally, as you say uh, correctly, heart problems affect people as they get older. You know, we think about things like plaque buildup in the arteries on your heart, uh, which is sort of a, a long cumulative wear and tear process, um, you know, f that comes from many years of 
having diabetes or high blood pressure or smoking or things like that. Um, so, you know, typically what we see is people experiencing the onset of heart problems in their 50s, 60s. Um, and then there's a much smaller group of people who are, who are born with heart problems. So if you weren't born with a heart problem uh, and you're healthy and you're in your 30s or 40s, uh, you're unlikely to have uh, a major heart condition. But with that being said, um, there are some things that affect people primarily in their 30s and 40s and abnormal heart rhythms, which it sounds like we'll be talking about, can be one of them. Um, and in addition, because unfortunately the American lifestyle has become less and less healthy with time, uh, conditions that usually didn't really occur until one's 50s or 60s are now occurring even earlier, like in one's 30s or 40s. And it's now not so rare for us to see somebody in their late 30s, early 40s, who has the kind of heart disease that in the past we wouldn't see until decades later. Yeah. And it's amazing. And you're right. I mean, our lifestyle has changed so much. And even though there is such a push for healthier living and some people are getting on board, it is affecting people earlier and earlier. Now, let's talk a little bit about heart palpitations. Can you tell everyone listening, what are heart palpitations and how common are they? Sure. Yeah. So palpitations are used to describe like an extra beat in the chest or a skipped beat in the chest or your heart beating hard, like hard enough that you notice it, uh, or your heart beating really fast. And, you know, it's normal in, in some circumstances for your heart to beat hard and fast. For example, if you're working out um, or if you're really stressed out, you know, you might notice your heart going a little faster. But sometimes it seems like it's happening for no reason at all um, or for no reason that the person can identify uh, readily. And that's when people start to worry that they may have a, an underlying heart problem. And how common? are symptoms like heart palpitations? Yeah, so heart palpitations are actually pretty common. Uh, almost everybody occasionally will feel a skipped beat um, or maybe while they're just resting quietly may feel their heart beating a little harder than they expect. Um, it's much less common to have palpitations that are frequent enough or bothersome enough to make somebody actually um, seek medical attention or you know, try to find a solution online or, or pursue it. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's an exact statistic, but it's, it's a pretty common complaint uh, that doctors encounter. And, and so if you're experiencing palpitations, you certainly are in very good company at all ages. Yeah, which I think is reassuring to know for the people that are experiencing. But yes. tell us a little bit about some of the causes of them. Yeah, so uh, there's a huge range of causes of palpitations, uh, ranging from maybe an exaggeration of normal things that happen to the heart to outright heart disease. So um, the heart is very sensitive to a lot of inputs. And one of the inputs to the heart is adrenaline. So most people know adrenaline as like the fight or flight hormone, the, the thing that gets released when you're scared or uh, nervous or you're you know, running towards the goal to you know, kick the soccer ball, something like that. Um, and adrenaline makes the heart pump harder because when you're exercising or you're scared or you need that fight or flight instinct, uh, you want to deliver more blood to your muscles um, so that your body can be more active and that requires your heart to pump harder. And, you know, you can experience surges of adrenaline for a lot of reasons and as a result of that, experience palpitations. So, for example, if you're really stressed or you're really anxious or on the more extreme side of things, you're having an outright panic attack um, uh, where you experience a lot of physical symptoms associated with extreme stress, um, you may feel your heart starting to skip beats or beat really hard or be really fast. Um, in addition, uh, certain medications can sort of stimulate 
that uh, adrenaline receptor on the heart. So for example, uh, if you're taking a medicine, a decongestant for a cold or a flu, uh, those actually work by stimulating the same receptors that adrenaline does in your body. And, and the intended effect of that is to like dry up mucus and, you know, make you less stuffy and make you cough less. But a side effect of that can be stimulating your heart. Um, same thing for drugs that are used for like attention deficit disorder. So if somebody takes Adderall or Ritalin that can stimulate the heart. Um, and then another input that the heart gets is caffeine. So if you drink a lot of coffee or tea that contains caffeine, um, that can overexcite the heart and, and lead to palpitations. Now, when you say a lot of coffee, is that something that's going to differ from person to person? Or is there a certain threshold of how many cups? It definitely differs from one person to another. And some people are very sensitive and others aren't. Um, I have some of my colleagues who drink like eight plus cups of coffee a day. And as far as I can tell, they're not clutching their chest uh, because of palpitations. Um, whereas we've seen patients that just have one or two cups a day, and, and that's enough to make them have symptomatic palpitations. So those are what I would say are like the sort of normal everyday things that can cause palpitations um, and can usually just be controlled with lifestyle. And we can talk more about that. Then there's also a, a host of diseases, um, both related to the heart and unrelated to the heart, which can cause palpitations. So um, the first one, which isn't really a disease, but it's sort of an abnormal physical state, is pregnancy. So um, when a woman mm -hmm. becomes pregnant, uh, in addition to uh, having to um, supply blood to her own body, the heart has to pump blood to the placenta and the fetus. And so the heart is working overtime. And in that setting, uh, the person who's pregnant may experience palpitations. Um, uh, actual diseases that can cause palpitations include things like anemia. So if you have a, a low number of red blood cells in your body because you've been bleeding or there's some process in your body that's preventing you from making blood normally, um, you know, your heart, in order to deliver enough oxygen to the rest of your body, is going to have to pump even more blood since since each sort of unit of blood has, has fewer oxygen-carrying cells in it. Um, in addition, if your thyroid gland is overactive, so the thyroid gland is a little piece of tissue in your neck that sets your body's metabolism, uh, and if that's making too much thyroid hormone and your metabolism is too high, um, of the various symptoms you can experience, palpitations is, is a common one. Yeah. And that's great that you're mentioning thyroid. We talk a lot about thyroid on this podcast. And for most people, well, of course it varies, but a lot of people have low thyroid symptoms and have to go on medicine. And there's often times where they may be on too much medicine or they're not on the right medicine. And so they can experience palpitations just from some of their treatment if they're not treated properly, or if they may have Hashimoto's where their TSH fluctuates and their thyroid can kind of go from fast to slow and fast to slow and back and forth. And that can cause yeah, that too. That's too much thyroid point. hormone, whether it's coming from your own thyroid or from a pill bottle uh, will definitely cause palpitations. And then, you know, we've listed a lot of things, but finally there's problems with the heart itself uh, that can cause palpitations. Um, so for example, you can be born with just sort of abnormal electrical circuits in the heart. Um, so, you know, normally the heart has an electrical system that helps it contract in a, in a functional way and in a synchronized way between the different chambers of the heart. Um, some people have pathways in that electrical system that are abnormal and can cause sort of electrical loops to form and can trigger extra beats or, or fast beats. And then finally, um, 
uh, sort of on the older side, if you have a history of a heart attack and you have scar uh, in your heart, that can actually serve as a as the origin site for extra heartbeats and abnormal heart rhythms. So that's that's sort of generally a, a list of things that doctors think about when when somebody has palpitations. Now, and if it is something that you're born with, and if there's an electrical uh, an issue with the electrical system, is that something that would typically cause palpitations right from the beginning? Or could they come on all of a sudden if someone's a little bit older? Not necessarily, yes. Yeah. So you can have abnormal pathways that really don't start causing symptoms until at any point later in your life. Um, so we encounter people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who uh, have abnormal heart rhythms, and we ultimately uh, find that they have extra pathways in their electrical system that have been there their whole life, but for whatever reason, they're only now causing problems. And if someone has palpitations and they want to evaluate where they're coming from, what are some tests that they can look into or that you guys would do in your practice to evaluate them? Yeah. So I would say anyone who's having palpitations, um, the first step is to just better define the problem for yourself so that you can clearly define it for a doctor if you need to see one. So what I I think people should do is um, keep a diary of when they're having symptoms. So uh, write down like the time that it started, what you were doing and how long it lasted for. Um, And sometimes just from that alone, you can see certain patterns. Like I was, you know, thinking about my money situation, or I was thinking about a fight I was having with my spouse or something like that. And, you know, it might just be clear that stress alone is, is driving your symptoms. Um, so in addition to keeping a diary of the sort of time and duration of symptoms, you should also try to take your pulse if you can. So I can walk your listeners through how to do this, but taking your pulse is really important because it will, um, provide a a rough estimate as to just how fast your heart is going. And that alone, um, can also sort of help classify it into, you know, one category or another. So, um, most people probably have some idea of how to do this, but basically, uh, you take, uh, two fingers with one hand, so your your second and third finger on one hand, sort of wrap it around the, the back of your wrist and, and place it at the base of your thumb uh, on the other hand. And you should feel your heart beating there. You, you should feel the pulse in the artery there. And essentially, you just want to count how many times you feel that impulse in 60 seconds. And that's your pulse. And if you're having palpitations, it's it's great to sort of count how fast it's happening during that time. And if your if your palpitations don't last a full sixty seconds, what you can do is you know count the beats in ten seconds and then just multiply that by six, and that'll be your pulse during that episode. So that's super helpful if you can do it. Um, if you have a smartwatch like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or something like that, it's probably also checking your heart rate on a regular basis. And if you're having palpitations, you can open up like the heart rate app on the thing. And it will measure your heart rate at that time, um, and that's how convenient. Information, yeah, yeah. And and then another thing to do is if you're feeling your pulse, um, what you can also note is is it fast and regular or is it fast and irregular? Meaning, are are you feeling pulses like in a very rhythmic, predictable way, like dun 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 dun, or are you feeling sort of like chaotic beats that are not in a sort of predictable rhythm, like dun, 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 you know, and, and if you can capture all of those things, that's extremely helpful for your, um, anyone trying to evaluate the, the cause of your palpitations. So if you have that information, um, there's a, a couple other things to consider. Number one is, are the palpitations actually causing symptoms or are they just wor- worrying you? Like, 
you know, are the palpitations bothersome because you think they could be a sign of an underlying problem or are the palpitations actually painful? Um, and, and that happens sometimes. People feel extra beats that are so forceful that it actually hurts them. Um, the most concerning symptom associated with palpitations would be lightheadedness or even loss of consciousness. So, you know, your heart is pumping, delivering blood to your body, generating your blood pressure. If the palpitations start going so fast or, it's, or they're so chaotic that your heart can't do its job, your blood pressure will drop. And, you know, the first sign of that can be feeling a little woozy. And um, the next sign of that can be actually losing consciousness. So you'll want to also sort of clarify what the results of the palpitations are, if there's any sort of consequences with that. Um, and I would say that if, if you have all that information, then you're in a pretty good position to, to figure out what you should do next about it. So, you know, if the palpitations are happening every now and then, maybe one or two times a day, um, but they're not causing any pain and you're not feeling lightheaded or anything like that, uh, you don't urgently need to see a doctor about that. What you could do is try to eliminate some of the potential causes we mentioned earlier that are under your control. So if you drink a lot of coffee or really any coffee, um, try to you know eliminate that and cut out your caffeine intake. Um, if you are somebody who is prone to anxiety, worrying, certainly uh, I am and most people are, um, you can you can try things like meditation and breathing exercises to just try to sort of recenter yourself and see if that helps with your palpitations. If if you know those things, and, and you know of course if you're taking medications, you know you should look to see if palpitations are a side effect of those medications and so forth. If if none of those changes helps, um, and you're still concerned about your palpitations, or if your palpitations are causing you know, pain or lightheadedness or anything like that, then I would say you should probably go to see a doctor sooner than later. Yeah, I know that's really good advice because it gives people something to do at home. And I think what you're saying is so important about having a journal and just writing down when it happens for how long and, you know, all of the things that you mentioned. That's really great. Yeah. When you finally make your way to a doctor, if, if you need to, a couple things that the doctor is likely to do. One, just take a history, probably covering many of the things that we've already talked about. And so if you have that information already organized and ready, that's great. Um, they'll do a physical exam, listening to your heart with a stethoscope, listening for any murmurs or anything that would suggest that the structure of your heart is abnormal in any way. Um, and then they'll do something called an EKG. So an EKG um, is a very simple test done in the doctor's office, it just takes a few minutes. Basically, they just put stickers on your chest and measure the electrical signals coming from your heart. And by doing that, you know, even if you're not having palpitations in the doctor's office, they can look to see if there's anything there that would suggest heart disease or an abnormal rhythm or, or anything. And if you have the palpitations during the visit, then even better, because they can see exactly, you know, what's going on in the heart when the palpitations occur. You know, based on your history, you might get some blood work sent. So, you know, your doctor may check you for anemia. Um, which can cause uh, palpitations for the reasons we talked about earlier. You know, your blood just working, your heart working harder to deliver enough oxygen to your body, even though your blood's oxygen level is down. They can check um, things in your blood called electrolytes. So those are the concentrations of different salts in your blood, like potassium and magnesium, things that you get from food. You know, most people with really any diet will get adequate amounts of those things, but it could be that your body is is prone to 
peeing out too much potassium or magnesium or not absorbing them. And if those levels get haywire, that can, that can cause palpitations. Um, and they may also just draw some bloods to check things like TSH um, to make sure that your thyroid function is, is in the right range. If all of that comes out negative, um, then, you know, whether you get further testing uh, will just have to depend on sort of whether your doctor's concerned that your palpitations represent underlying real heart disease or not. And um, some of that further testing would include like an ultrasound of the heart. So looking at the structure and function of the heart to make sure everything's normal. Sometimes we'll pick up um, abnormal heart valves um, or one of the chambers of the heart being abnormally sized or not pumping well. Um, and another thing that we can do, which is really the most definitive thing, is to put what's called an ambulatory monitor or holter on the person where we put those stickers on their chest like before to measure the electrical signals, but then you go home with those stickers on your chest and a little machine, and it's recording the electrical signals from your heart all the time. And if you have the palpitations, you know there's now a recording of what is happening in your heart uh, at that moment, and, and that's obviously very, very helpful for the doctor to to understand um, what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, in Erica's case, she had a lot of those tests done and everything came back normal, which is what was very frustrating for her mm -hmm. because, you know, not that she wanted to have something wrong, but she wanted to have an answer. But what was interesting about Erica, and I think like a lot of us, she was a worrier and it was sort of this vicious cycle that was happening. So she would feel this irregular heartbeat and this sort of loud and fast kind of beat. And then she would get very nervous that it means that something is wrong. And I think she was, you know, she's read about that you can pass out and some of these other things can happen. I think she was so nervous about the fact that something bad can happen, that that increased her adrenaline, you know, which is one of the triggers that you talked about. And then it was just this vicious cycle of getting scared, creating more anxiety, more palpitations, and it's sort of going round and round. So it's very, very common. Um, I would say like the most common reason that we find for palpitations is what you describe. You know, all the tests are pretty much negative and it just is heightened sensitivity to the heart um, and to your own sort of internal body's movements and just fear that what you're experiencing is abnormal, which then, as you say, creates this vicious cycle where you get more palpitations and then you get more worried and then even more palpitations. And, um, you know, you just eventually something distracts you and, and breaks the cycle. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned a few tools. You mentioned meditation and breathing. Are there any other tools uh, that you would give patients when they go through uh, this where you know that it's an anxiety type of thing and that everything is okay with their heart? Are there any like quick tricks uh, or maybe specific breathing exercises that we, you would recommend they do? Not really. I mean, if, if we think that it's actually from anxiety uh, or a panic attack, um, you know, the, the sort of slow, deep breathing is usually very helpful for breaking it. Um, but in addition to that, you know, we would usually recommend that they speak to either a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist about, you know, the underlying issues. Because, because sometimes the palpitations are the first sign of an anxiety disorder that actually does need to be treated. Um, and just this is how it manifests itself. And often when people have the actual anxiety disorder treated, um, they feel a lot better and the palpitations go away completely. Um, so, you know, sometimes the best treatment for palpitations is talk therapy and sometimes medication. If somebody's having 
palpitations that are related to true abnormal electrical activity in the heart that isn't being brought on by you know, stress or anxiety or another medical condition. You know, there are tricks that we, we teach patients that can sometimes break those circuits. So things like bearing down or rubbing their neck or sometimes like putting an ice pack against their face, all of those, they sort of counteract the fight or flight input to the heart. They sort of block adrenaline input to the heart for a few seconds and that can break abnormal electrical circuits. But I certainly wouldn't recommend that people try those things until, you know, they've seen their doctor and they know what they're dealing with. Of course. Yeah. And and I think for people where if they know that everything is normal in their tests, it's probably also comforting to know that, okay, we ran everything and it's okay. So it must be something that's less serious. And that can also help them to calm down a little bit about it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Kelly, tell me a little bit more about your inspiration for writing this book. Because it's it's a really neat tool. And like I said, I wish I had this earlier. Um, So what inspired this? Yeah. So, you know, the the title of the book, as you said, is Am I Dying? But the subtitle is A Complete Guide to Your Symptoms and What to Do Next. So we try to offer readers um, kind of like the discussion we just had, like for any given symptom, and we cover 40 of them in the book, including palpitations. You know, we go through all of the different causes of that symptom um, that one is likely to encounter and help you figure out which one is likely at play for you. And then most importantly, is this something that you can just wait and watch? Or is this something that you need to make an appointment to see a doctor about? Or is this something you need to go to the emergency room for right now? So we made the book because you know, number one, it's in 2019 in America, not easy for everyone to see a doctor. And, and certainly, you know, because it can be expensive to see a doctor, um, people are reluctant to go unless they feel like it's, it's really, really important. And so if you're having a new symptom, when you're making that initial decision, like, should I go or not go? Uh, we wanted to create a book that was very helpful, very practical. And so that was one of the original impetuses. So, you know, if, if you just have a copy of the book, um, you can turn to the chapter for whatever symptom you're having and you'll get a pretty good overview of, of whether you need to, to make a doctor's appointment or not. Uh, the other motivation was that we found that, you know, re- regardless of, of what we say, people are going to research their symptoms online. And that's fine. I mean, people should be researching their bodies and they should understand how they work. Um, and we encourage that. But it's really hard to find reliable, good information online. And there's a lot of bad information out there. So we wanted to just create something that was, you know, definitive, authoritative, you know, gave the same kind of advice that you would be likely to get from 99.99% of doctors out there and, um, and, you know, put it in print so people felt that they could trust it. Yeah, I know that's great. And what's nice is that the way you write it, well, first of all, it's really humorous. So it's really fun to read and it's very reassuring. And obviously, you know, if you feel like there's an issue, you do urge people to go see someone. But at the same time, there's a lot of reassuring things about some of the other symptoms where, you know, it may not be a big deal. So um, it's a great resource. Thank you. I mean, people often joke about, you know, cyberchondria. Um, which is, I think, the phenomenon where you go online looking up a fairly benign symptom and within 30 seconds become convinced you have the most horrible diagnosis imaginable. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know, that your mild headache is in fact full-blown brain cancer and you have weeks to live. And um, so we were sort of trying to create the antidote to that. You know, we're, we're taking the approach that there's no need to like get worked up unless truly necessary. Um, 
you know, we, we want to lower people's stress level. Um, certainly we, we tell people in the book when we feel like there's a serious problem that needs attention, but, uh, otherwise we try to keep things, uh, in proportion. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for all of this information. I so appreciate you being here. And for everyone listening, definitely check out Am I Dying? A Complete Guide to Your Symptoms and What to Do Next. It's a really wonderful resource. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Kelly. My pleasure. Thanks again. Heart palpitations can be due to a lot of different things, and many of them come from factors that are benign and don't always mean that something is terribly wrong. Now, of course, we want to check everything out. And if, in fact, it is benign, we still want to know what created it to be able to deal with them naturally so that we don't experience this uncomfortable sensation. I'll tell you more about what we did for Erica in just a second. But first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Dr. Chris Kelly, and his book, Am I Dying?, please visit healthmysterysolve.com and go to episode number 25. There you'll see all the detailed show notes and all the resources that he and I discussed on the show. And for Erica, since all of her cardiac tests came back normal, we looked into all of the other reasons for the palpitations. After speaking to her in length, I saw that she worried a lot and was often in her head, so to speak. When I questioned Erica in detail and took her back to the first time that she remembers getting the palpitations, I discovered that it was when she was sick and had taken cold medicine that had a decongestant in it. She brushed over this fact and didn't think it was significant, but this was actually a big key. Decongestants can produce an adrenaline-like response, and it's not something that's often talked about. Being that Erica was already an overall anxious person and her adrenal glands, which are the glands that deal with stress, were naturally a bit upregulated, she was more sensitive to this adrenaline response. And like I always say, we're all different. So certain things are going to affect some people more than others. And our response is going to vary. So it's not about comparing ourselves to others, but paying attention to how we feel and trusting in our own body. I often talk about the overflowing bucket analogy. And how once we fill up the bucket with stuff, you put that one last thing in the bucket and that bucket overflows, which is when we start to have symptoms. And so in Erica's case, her constant worry and overthinking, coupled with drinking several cups of coffee and not managing stress properly, filled up her stress and adrenal bucket. So while taking a decongestant may seem like nothing, for her, it was the straw that broke the camel's back and put her in that overload state. So first, I asked Erica to cut down her coffee. She was not willing to give it up completely. So we settled on one cup in the morning with no sugar, and she used xylitol instead, which is a natural sweetener. And then she replaced her mid-morning and afternoon cup with one green tea and one herbal tea. I also put Erica on a supplement called Catecholicom. And like the name suggests, it calms the catecholamines. Adrenaline, or epinephrine, is a catecholamine. Now, this supplement has a combination of B vitamins and calming herbs like lemon balm and valerian root, as well as minerals like calcium and magnesium that are all calming and relaxing. And you know, the nice thing about the supplement is that it helps bring down adrenaline, but it does it without making you tired. So it's perfectly fine to take this during the day. You're not going to feel drowsy from it. Now, in addition to catecholicom, say that three times fast, I also worked with Erica on calming her nervous system. Her breathing was very shallow and typically shallow breathing activates the nerve endings that are more at the top of the lungs. And that tells the body that something is happening and that there may be an emergency. And deep breathing activates the nerves in the lower part of the lungs, which tells the body that we're safe and everything is okay. 
So I showed her the four, seven, eight breath. And this is super simple. What we do is we breathe in for the count of four, hold it for the count of seven, and then breathe out for the count of eight. It's amazing how calming and resetting this simple tool is. And you know what, guys? As long as you're not driving right now or operating any kind of machinery, why don't we try it together? So if you're somewhere where you can just sit down for a quick second, I promise it'll only take a second, and see if you can close your eyes. And then let's all breathe in through our nose for four. One, two, three, four. Now hold it for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And now slowly breathe the air out through your mouth for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Let's do it one more time. Take a nice deep breath through the nose. One, two, three, four. Now hold that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then slowly breathe out through the mouth. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <sighs> How did that feel? Even just a few times a day, if you do this, it'll help to calm everything down and relax you. And it really helps to sort of get out of your head. This is super, super helpful. And I highly recommend this. The four, seven, eight breath was super helpful for Erica because what was happening was that when she would experience the palpitations, she would get nervous about them. And then that nervousness created the anxiety that something else was wrong. And then it was this vicious cycle that just spiraled out of control. So that's why all of the tools that I used with Erica were things that were going to calm her nervous system and calm the anxiety and have her see that things are actually okay. And then once she started getting less palpitations and also was less worried about the fact that it actually meant something that was more dangerous, things started to calm down and she started to feel a lot better. If Erica sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. And if you guys like the show, I would really appreciate it if you can go on to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. The reviews really help spread the word so that it's actually shown to more people and more people see that the answers are out there and then they're not alone in their health journey. Because when it comes to solving your health issues, please, please don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.